A couple weeks ago, Charlie and I got some mulch delivered. And let's just say we got a little too much. So by the way, if any of you need mulch and you are willing to load it, you can come get some. Just reach out to me after the service. And like the sixth time that we are out there mulching another part of the yard, my boys say to me, this is not housework. This is child labor. <laughs> what I find so remarkable is that the idea of children not working child labor is relatively new in our country. Before the 18th century, most things in the country were made by hand, but then after the 18th century, factories opened up all over the United States and Europe, and the world discovered the most amazing source of being able to have those factories work, and that was children. Believe it or not, this went on for 150 years. Until 1938, the Child Labor Act was made it through Congress, and it made the age limit at 16 for during school hours, 14 for after school, and 18 for dangerous work. Think about it. It's only been 85 years since children have been able to have childhood that we know of, a childhood that involves playing and going to school and having access to an education. That is most of us, and most of us have been privileged to have a childhood like that. In first century Rome, the childhood that all of us knew and that children know now was a far cry from their reality. Only the elite of the elite of the elite had access to education. 99% of this Roman world were impoverished. There was no middle class. Most common folk, they, they earned their living through hard labor. They were carpenters. They were fishermen. They built roads. They built homes. One of the easiest ways to make money, though, was to sell off property. But you see, the 99% didn't own property like you and I think of. They didn't own homes or buildings. The only property that they could possibly get a profit from was through their children. In first century, Roman children lived a difficult and tough life. As soon as they were able, they worked, and I don't mean they just shoveled mulch. They built roads, homes, they worked in mines, or they were slaves for that elite. So our passage today comes from Paul writing to first century Rome. The passage that we're going to read from it's, that, it's a chapter of the Bible that all of us would be like, oh yeah, I know that verse. It's, you know, therefore, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. It comes from this same passage. It says, the spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words we, when we cannot pray as we ought from this passage. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. If God is for us, who is against us? And then my favorite is, there is nothing they can separate anyone from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And then our passage that we will read today. And when we hear these words quoted, these scriptures quoted, we want to shout amen. Yes, those are like the hallmarks of who we are as people of faith. I want you to keep in mind as we read this text today what we were just reminded about childhood in Rome. Let us pray. 
Gracious and loving God, we thank you that your word is more powerful than any, anything that a, a preacher could preach. It is more powerful than anything that an apostle could write. It is powerful because it is your spirit within us speaking, breathing that into our lives. And so we pray that as we hear this word today, that we would not be able to leave as the same people that we walked in. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Hear now Paul's words to the church in Rome. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit. Since the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If in fact we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I think what Paul is trying to do in this specific chapter of the book of Romans, then and now, is he's trying to remind all who believe in Christ that we have a forever family. You have an identity as a child of God. Our section begins with Paul reminding us, he says, you are not debtors to the flesh. In other words, you are no, no longer defined by who owns you or who has power over you. There is nobody you owe a debt to. Roman culture was divided into all of these classes, even amongst the 99%. At the top, you had the patricians and then the senators, the plebeians, the slaves, and then more. Society defined who you were based on which class you were in. And Paul is challenging the system. He says, if you continue to live according to the system that defines you in this way, you will not be living into who you are freely as in Christ. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, not by the flesh, are children of God. Paul is reminding the Romans what we are not. Listen to all the things we are not. You are not condemned. You are not debtors in the flesh. We are not people who only hope in what we see. We hope in things unseen. And never, ever are we separated from the love of God in Christ. I started thinking about how our world is really good about telling us things we're not. Like Paul just told them all these things they're not. But in a wholly different world. Consider the contrast. I am not trendy enough. I am not up on culture enough. I am not into fashion or decorating. I am not politically engaged enough. 
I am not fit enough. I don't have a good enough social media presence. I'm not a good mother, not young. I'm not like so-and-so. That's how the world tells us we're not. And Paul tells us all these other things. What about you? What have you been told you are even in this past week? Take a minute and reflect on that. What label did you get stuck with? Oh, you're so Republican. Oh, you're so Democratic. You're lazy, controlling. You're so wise. You're so tired. You are so hyper. Whether positive or negative, these labels feed into our minds and they influence how we view ourselves. They impact who we think we are and who we think we should be. And the scripture beckons to us from thousands of years ago with the voice of God shouting to us those labels that people have tried to place on you, the ones you even believe are true. Hear this. All who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. That's the only label that counts. Paul goes on, you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. This is the part of the text that I love so much because when those first century Roman listeners heard about the word adoption in the Greek, it's a fascinating word, it's weothesia, they would have heard weothesia, they would have immediately identified with what adoption meant. So slavery was very commonplace. So when they heard, you did not receive a spirit of slavery, okay, but adoption, adoption was a very complicated process in first century Rome. It was usually reserved just for boys and men because you see, if there was a man who had not had a male heir but wanted to pass on the name, they would need to adopt another boy. Adoption was this long process. It involved ceremonies, court appearances, and lots of money. One thing that hasn't changed this time. But what this Roman audience would have realized is what the consequences of getting adopted meant to the young person. First, that person that was adopted gained all rights of a legitimate son in the new family and literally gained a new father. The old father was gone. This was your new father. Second, the adopted son had an equal heir to the estate, to all of the resources that anybody would have had. But most significantly, by the law, the old life of the man or son adopted was completely wiped out. All debts were canceled. When these early Christians heard Paul say, you have been adopted by God? I truly believe they would have not believed it when they heard it. Paul was telling them, you, no matter what class you are in, no matter how much debt you have before you, or what labels anyone has put on you, you have a new father. And it is to this father that we cry out to. He uses the word kratzo. It means to shout. This is who we shout to, is to our heavenly father. This word, kratzo, it's only used in the gospels in desperate situations. 
It's used when uh, Paul is walking out on the water and he sees Jesus, and, and not Paul, Peter is walking out on the water and he sees Jesus and he gets scared and it says he cries out to Jesus, save me. Blind men are sitting there and Jesus walks by them but doesn't see them and they cry out to him, save us, have mercy on us. When people line the streets and Jesus is coming through on the donkey, people are shouting out, Hosanna, save us. And then when Jesus is on the cross, he shouts, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Paul uses the word to shout to our Abba. Abba is an Aramaic word. It's the language that Jesus would have spoken. And Abba doesn't mean father. It's the word you used for the person you lived with. We would say dad. It's the personal term for a father. So I want you to read this verse again with me, verse 15, with some new language. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we shout dad, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You see, God shouts to us, I have paid for all of your debts. All of those labels that haven't been put on you do not matter. Your slate is clean. You are no longer slaves. You are a child of God. So one of my friends in Atlanta, Maggie, she grew up in a northern suburb of Atlanta called Roswell, the church where I used to serve. And she grew up in a very typical suburban family she had two brothers, two parents, both of them worked. She had a couple dogs. She got into soccer. She was really good at soccer. She played violin. She was really good at violin. She was your typical high school girl, but she wasn't typical because at six months, she was adopted from Korea by these two fabulous people at, at our church that were not of color. What you need to know is that her earliest memories of, of her parents reminding her all the time. Like, even though you're, you're never going to look like anybody else in our family, you are ours. You are 100% part of our family. She recalls her first negative experience with realizing that she was different. It was either first or second grade, and she's riding home on the bus. She's looking out the window, and this girl in front of her turned around and said, what are you looking at, Chinese girl? And then slapped her in the face. She went home, and she didn't want to be different. She wanted to be different, but not look different. And when she would go to birthday parties, and one birthday party in particular, she came home, and she said, Mom, all the girls have blonde hair. Can we make my hair blonde as well? She recalls these, experience, these experiences like they happened yesterday. She wrote, I was tired of being different. Although I appreciated being adopted, I didn't want to look different than anyone else. Every kid that is adopted, regardless of the incredible feelings that you have towards your adopted parents, at some point you have an identity crisis. You go through the emotions of, wow. I was adopted and that is great, but there was this act that led to me not being wanted. She said, I had to reach a point of knowing that my mom is my mom. And my dad is my dad. My brothers are my brothers and that is my family. 
When I asked her what she thinks about who she is now as an adopted young adult woman of color, she got tears in her eyes and said, I am still very different, but now it is something that I am proud of. And I'm so proud for my parents doing it. You see, Maggie got to a point where she accepted who her family was and whose family she belonged to. This is what I hear God shouting to us from this text written so long ago. You are my child. I've adopted you. May we live as heirs. May it be so in my life and in yours. Amen.